Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. Think of the last conversation you had with friends during a social time. Was it positive or negative? When we socialize, oftentimes, after we've enjoyed our initial pleasantries, the conversation moves to the many ills in our world, whether that be politics or politicians, fake news, cultural atrocities, or simply grumbling about prices at the grocery store. Unfortunately, it's human nature for us to look at the negatives in people and situations rather than the positive. Is that how Jesus spoke? Is that how he would have us speak and live? I'm Debbie Blank. Today, we want to encourage you to, quote, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth, end quote. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Jesus warned his followers to be aware of the signs of the times. In Matthew 24, he prophesied a series of events that would begin to converge and increase in severity as the times of the end grow near. But even those who don't know these prophecies are recognizing how world events are currently converging into a bad direction. They cite fears of things like political and financial collapse, natural disasters, food shortages, wars, and new pandemics. So when conversations increasingly settle into a pattern of fear and despair, what should we do? These conversations may be natural and even necessary, but they can end in nothing more than an increased sense of fear, grumbling, and depression. So how should we as believers, living in times such as these, use our conversations to bring light to others and honor to God? This is a hot topic, at least it was for you and I as we discussed it, because the last few times we've been out with friends, the conversation tends to go towards what's going on in the world, and it's so depressing that by the time we leave, we wonder why we even went out with friends to walk away depressed. So there has to be a balance in this in life, in focusing on the positive as well as understanding what's going on in the world without getting caught up in the negatives of everything that we're seeing. We can best do that by asking, did Jesus ever criticize his political leaders? Or did he ever even focus on what was going on politically at his time? And the answer is no, he didn't. Now, did Jesus ever criticize the religious leaders? Yeah, he actually did. In Matthew 23, he calls them hypocrites, but he did it to their faces. He was doing that because the way they were living and the things they were teaching didn't match up with scripture. So really, he was confronting them more than he was criticizing them. And he didn't tend to talk against them when he was with his disciples or other people, though he did tell them to beware of the teachings. So we have to look at Jesus' example when we consider our speech and the things we talk about. And most importantly, we need to keep our minds on the things above, as I quoted from Colossians 3, 2. If we don't do that, we're going to look at the world and we are going to get fearful and feeling desperate when, in fact, God wants us to be hopeful and cheerful. As you said, we were talking about this topic because it had come to our attention, each of us. And what's interesting is, I don't know if this happens to you all, but sometimes for me, 
a principle or a verse or some kind of a topic will come to my mind, come to my attention, and then it seems like the rest of the week, if I hear something on the radio, if I read something, if I hear a conversation, if there's a song that I hear, something seems to continually repeat that topic to me, and it's kind of like the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, pay attention to this. This was one of those topics where, as you did, I was in a prayer group with some of my wonderful friends, and we caught ourselves as things got down and down and down because there are topics that are important to talk about, and yet how are we as Christians supposed to handle them? And we were starting to feel like we weren't handling it exactly right. Then my pastor gave a sermon on the same thing, and you then brought up this topic for a show to do, and I thought, yes, this is something we should be doing. The Holy Spirit is directing us to pay attention to how we're speaking and how we're handling the topics of the day. Yes, because as Christians, people look to us to be an example for Christ. So we have to think about this. After we decided to do the show on this, I had two opportunities to meet with friends socially. And I put it in the forefront of my mind to make sure we didn't get off on any negative conversations. And we had a wonderful dinner with some friends and a wonderful lunch with some friends. Not once did we go in the negative direction. We focused on positive things, whether it be family or what we're doing to change our homes or even sports that can be positive once in a while, uh, can be negative too. But there's lots of things we can talk about and discuss without dragging us into the mud, the muck and the mire of what's going on in the world. Sometimes we have to make a concerted effort to speak positively. And sometimes we need to be the one to change the conversation. If we see it going downhill, as you apparently did with your friends, then it's important to stop and change it. One time I was at a VBS meeting with the people who I would be teaching with. This was decades ago. And they started bringing up something critical about the pastor at that time because of something dealing with VBS. It just took a couple minutes before I said, you know, I'm really not comfortable with this conversation. Let's instead pray for our pastor and let's look at how we can do this positively. So we can also, in a positive way, change the direction of the conversation if it's going negative towards a person and we pick their actions and their thoughts and their words apart. That's a destructive habit to get into. And as believers, we don't want to be like the world that has no hope. We want to be like those who have the hope. We know that Jesus is in charge, that God wins in the end. We know the end of the book. So we know that there are things that happen in the meantime. And we do bring those up on this show because it's important for us to know the signs of the times. On the other hand, we can't just leave it there. And and Christ doesn't want us to leave it there. So there are things that we need to do to bring light and hope to others. That's part of the Great Commission. That's exactly right. That's why Psalm 141.3 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep a watch over the door of my lips. Did you notice those are commands, set a guard and keep a watch? It's our responsibility to do that. And I think of literally a guard, even in football, where you have that helmet and then you have guards in your mouths to protect you. We need that too with our speech. Of course, the main thing about our speech we need to realize is the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. If we're saying negative or critical things, it's because it's coming from our hearts. Therefore, we need to examine our hearts. But it's important that we be uplifting in the things that we discuss rather than 
negative. Now, we will have disagreements with people over things, whether it's politics or anything else, but we can still do that positively. I've met with people before who do not agree with my spiritual walk with the Lord or with the Word of God. So instead of criticizing them or judging them for what they believe, I simply share with them what I believe, what my experience has been with God, what I believe from the Word of God, what I believe about God. How can they argue about that? That's what I believe. They can share with me what they believe. We may not agree with it, but we don't criticize one another as much as we do listen to each other and understand that we have a different point of view, but we've shared it in a positive way. So there are different ways that we've come up with. You have a list here that we can go through of tools that we can use, ways that we can change the conversation so that if we're in the midst of something like this and we sense that maybe it's headed down a path where we need to bring it back, there are certain tools that we have that we can use. So if you want to go into the first one, it comes from Philippians 2.14 through 16. Yes. As a matter of fact, we're studying Philippians right now. It is such an amazing book of practical, applicable tips on how we can live, how we can speak, how we should act as believers. The first one we have here is do not grumble. Philippians 2, 14 to 16 says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Grumbling is more of a private matter when you do it maybe one-on-one with someone. And disputing is an outward murmuring. At least according to the original language, that's what they mean. So do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights of the world, holding fast the word of life. Why do we not grumble? Because we need to be the lights of the world. We need to be the example. Jesus said in Matthew five sixteen, let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. How is God glorified if we grumble, if we're complaining, if we're murmuring about things that we don't like? He's not. He wants us to be those lights in the world and children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. This was written 2,000 years ago. They had a crooked and perverse generation, and we do too. There's always going to be sin. There's always going to be negatives. But we're told here not to grumble about what's going on. What we do have to put forth in the positive is the gospel. So ultimately, everything that we're going to be talking about The cure is the salvation through Jesus Christ, that he took care of it. He paid the price for our sins. We can be guaranteed salvation and eternal life, and that solves everything ultimately, and that gives us that wonderful thing to be assured of, to look forward to. Oh, and that's where we should focus ourselves, set our minds on the things above, on what God has given us, what our hope is in the future. We can look at the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness They grumbled all the time. They didn't have enough water. They didn't have the right food. It was too hot. But God always took care of them. They focused on the earthly problems rather than the heavenly provisions. God gave them sandals that lasted the entire 40 years. He always gave them food and water. He took care of them. 
and he will take care of us too. Grumbling has no benefit to anyone. It causes our soul to be discontent. When we're discontent, we don't focus on God. We don't trust God. We just look at our circumstances. So the next time something negative happens, consider that we're to do all things without grumbling or disputing. Instead, set our minds on the things above, not on the things of the earth. Now, the next point we have is we can change our focus. And this is really important. We could spend all day just on this one verse. It also is in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. What it says is, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, and that means whatever conforms to reality, it's not fake news, it's not false, it's not our perception. Whatever is honorable, that means worthy or reverent. Is what we talk about honorable to God and to others? Is it worthy of discussion? And then it says, whatever is right. That means whatever is just or the fulfillment of our duty or our responsibility as Christians. Then it goes on to say, whatever is pure. Pure means morally undefiled. That means there's no imperfection in what we're going to be talking about. Whatever is lovely. Lovely is pleasing to God specifically. We're his children. What we say and do and think should always be pleasing to him. Whatever is of good repute. That means fit for God to hear. Now, is what we say fit for God to hear? He knows it's in our hearts if we're thinking it. But do we really want to say it before God? And then it says, if there is any excellence, any virtue, and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Continually fix our mind on these positive things. So let me go back and read that in its totality without the stops. And think about this. This is what God says we should be dwelling on. And if we dwell on it, this is what our speech will be. This is from Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. That's a good verse to memorize. And when we start going down the slippery slope, to come back and ask ourselves if our speech is following this pattern. You think of all the uh, depression and anxiety in the world today, and then you read this verse. If there's anything positive that you can dwell on, that you can set your mind on, isn't that the definition of good mental health in addition to good spiritual health? This is probably another solution to just having a, a better attitude in general. It is, and that's why it's changing our focus. It's so important if we're dealing with the negatives that we change our focus, and we can do it by following that verse. The next point we want to make is that we need to realize that our words reflect what's in our heart. I've already mentioned Matthew 12, 34, that says the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. If we have negatives in our heart, if we have criticism, if we're judgmental, if we're not happy or joyful in life, if we're not following God, the things that are going to come out of our mouths are going to focus on the world. They're going to focus on then eventually negative things. That's why we need to change our focus that we just talked about so that if we change our focus, we change our heart. If we change our heart, we change our speech. It's all a pattern. 
in our culture, we have taken God out of the culture and the word of God as being truth and being the plumb line of how we live. We need to put that back into our lives so that the word of God is the main focus. If we will spend time with God each day in prayer and in his word, that starts our day off in a positive light. It gives God control of our lives, and then he will be the one to guard our speech. Give us the right heart and attitude so our speech will be profitable. And sometimes it is difficult for us to control our own speech. And I'm thinking of the book of James, chapter 3, and it was one of my mother's favorite chapters about the tongue and how it can be so destructive. It's such a tiny part of our body, and yet it can cause all kinds of problems. So if we have trouble, and it acknowledges that humans have trouble in that scripture, then ask the Lord to be the one to put the guard over our mouths. We don't have to try to do it all in our own power, but just be humble and and submit to the Lord and ask him to be the one to do it. I love what you just said, because in life, we think we need to do everything. But as children of God, we don't. We simply need to ask God to give us wisdom, to give us guidance, to help us through, to show us how he would have us live, and he'll do it. In the book of James that you're talking about, chapter 1, it says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men freely and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So if we need wisdom on anything, God will give it to us. And in this case, we need wisdom in our speech. How do we do that? Well, we change our heart. Psalms 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. There's a prayer that we can pray, asking God to change our hearts. He's the only one who can. I look at where I was almost 50 years ago when I became a believer. I was a good person, and yet my heart had a lot of sin in it and negativism in it, and certainly worldliness in it. And God changed my heart. Gradually over the years, he drew me closer to him. I'm continually growing into the heart of Christ As I do that, that changes my attitude, that changes my focus, changes my speech. And as you know his word and you're closer and closer to him, those things are going to be the things that come out of your mouth. Well, once we have the right heart and the right attitude and the right speech, then our heart should be to encourage other people. Because remember, if we are to have joy, it's Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. So Jesus should always be first and others should always be second. We should encourage others, build them up, not tear them down. Ephesians 4.29 tells us that we are to let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Oh, there's so much in that. First, don't let any bad words or unwholesome words come out of our mouth. Only share words that are good for edification or encouragement or exhortation to other people. And why do we do it? So we may give grace to those who hear. What does God give us? Grace that we might have a relationship with him. We should be pouring out grace on other people. Grace doesn't mean overlooking every single problem and ignoring it. Grace is a way to pour out love and encouragement and joy and peace to other people and build them up in this world. If we talk negatively about things or about them, we're tearing them down instead. It's such a good feeling to use your mouth to 
build people up. I have a couple of friends that are especially good at being encouragers, and I like to watch them and see how they do it because you can see it build them up as they do it, as they build someone else up. And why use your mouth for anything else when you see the power that it has for good? Well, we use our mouths to tear people down because it makes us look better. It builds us up that way. But instead, if our heart's with Christ and we desire to be more like him, we want others to be also. And we put them first. Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. We're not supposed to be self-focused or conceited. Instead, we're supposed to be humble. Right after that passage in Philippians 2, it talks about the humility of Jesus and how we are supposed to have that same kind of humility. When we're humble, we're not the focus of anything. God is and others are. God wants us to take care of ourselves. We must meet our own needs so that we're strong enough to meet the needs of others. But we are not to be the focus of our lives. I just think of the example of Jesus bending down to wash the feet of the disciples. And that was done with such humility and such love and as an example for us. There's another principle that's so important that we want to dwell on for a little bit, and that's forgiving one another. We look at Matthew 6, 14 and 15. It says, For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Wow. Is that harsh? Oh, that is so tough. If people don't match up with what we want or think or do, then we get mad at them or they hurt us and we don't want to forgive them. And yet here we're told, if we don't forgive others, God doesn't forgive us. And I want God's forgiveness. I need it. I need it not only for the forgiveness of my sins so I can enter eternity with him, but I need it for everyday living. If I've done something to offend someone, that breaks the relationship or at least causes a crack in it. And that crack needs to be mended. It's only mended by forgiveness. We need to have that grace to let other people off the hook, which is what forgiveness is. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to forget the offense. It doesn't mean that we're saying the offense was good. It simply means that we're willing to forgive and let God take that away from us so that we can mend the relationship and draw closer to them and closer to God. We need to know that we have been forgiven and how much we've been forgiven and what it took for Jesus to take our sin to the cross so that we could be forgiven. Who are we, if we are followers of him, to begrudge that? If we think of that word joy again, Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between, we can appropriate that to forgiveness. And that's Jesus first, asking Jesus to forgive us for our sins. It has to be from the heart, because if we're asking for forgiveness just to be forgiven, that's not the right motivation. We need to have a repentant heart to be forgiven. So we first ask Jesus for forgiveness, and then we next forgive others because Jesus forgave us. So it's Jesus first, it's others next, but there's also ourselves. Sometimes we don't forgive ourselves. We hold on to shame and hurt from what we've done. 
I had a friend who had had an abortion 30 years ago. And at this age, she still hadn't forgiven herself or her mom for the abortion because the mom forced her to do it. When I talked to her about forgiveness, she asked forgiveness of God for what she had done. She forgave her mom, and then she forgave herself. She had a whole freedom that she's never had before. Because once Jesus forgives us, if we hold on to that unforgiveness of ourselves or that shame, then we're just saying Jesus died on the cross for nothing. He didn't cover my sin, when in fact he did. So we need to let it go. If we don't forgive, it brings about bitterness, and bitterness destroys the soul. None of us want to be there, and God doesn't want us to be there either. How do we do all of this? We do it by seeking God first. Matthew 6.33 reminds us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us. He is our Lord. He's our Savior. He wants us to be like him. He's trying to draw us into the character of himself, of Christ. And he does that when we seek him, when we make him our Lord. As I said, over the years, he's changed me. I'm so grateful I'm a different person today because I was always focused on me first back then. Everything was about what I wanted, what was important to me, and what benefited me. And that is the opposite of our relationship with God. So I'm grateful that I sought him out so he could change my heart and my attitude. And then gradually, when things come up like they have been lately about negative conversations, that he shows me that that needs to change in my life. Again, understand negative conversations are going to come up. When we talk about the upcoming presidential election, there's going to be different points of view, and we're going to have opinions about certain candidates. It's okay to discuss what we disagree as far as the positions of different candidates go, because we will have a difference of opinion. But then to take it to that next level and criticize them for different attitudes and actions and what we don't think are right in their lives, that's making us a judge. And the only judge we have is God, not us. We are not to be judging other people or criticizing them or grumbling about them. Instead, we're to be always building them up and praying for them. If we have a negative opinion about a politician or anyone, the first thing we should do is pray for them. I'm nodding my head here because I think that's so important. We neglect to pray for those who might be, quote unquote, our enemies, but Jesus instructs us to do that. What better way is there to solve the problems of our country than to pray for those people who are in charge so that God might change their hearts? That would be the most effective, efficient way to go about change. So what do we talk about if we can't talk about negative things? Well, there's so much we can. What about Sunday's sermon? What God spoke to us about in what our pastor said? Or something we read recently in Scripture? How about the latest book we're reading and what it means to us and what we can share with other people? We always can talk about our family and our friends, what's happening there, or any exciting things like travel or participating in a sports event. We can get to know one another better by asking questions about their lives and how God's working in their lives. We can build each other up by looking for something that they say and focusing on that to encourage them. 
we can talk about God's blessings. That's one of the greatest things is what has God done in my life recently or in your life? We can even talk about current events as long as they're presented in a way to inform, to educate, and to pray so that we know what we can pray about. So we can talk about anything. It's just a matter of where our heart is in our discussion. Let's keep in mind what God says in Psalm 1914. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.